0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Legends of Packard. We are back on the Legends of Packard podcast. Randy Policar along with former Sun Devil pitcher Jake Borup. Jake, we are just going through the list of great Sun Devil players. If you look at the record books, we're we're checking guys off and bringing on guests, and today is no different. Our guest today... Well he only won 47 games as a pitcher number one all-time tied uh, in school history he pretty much pitched basically every game it seemed like Mr. Kendall Carter who pitched uh, from 81 to 84.
1: I got love for the right-handed pitchers um, and obviously you you spoke about it Kendall Carter he was he was our Mitch Lampson if anybody's familiar with the uh, the 2009 2010 Sun devil season it seemed like it you know obviously leak and Spence they went. Uh, nine innings most of those those games but for whatever reason Sundays and then all of 2010 and most of 2011 it was Mitch Lampson first out of the bullpen I don't think Mitch ever got 19 wins in a season though and, and as a freshman in 81 I mean that this this year alone is eye-popping 19 and 1 2.8 ERA uh, 28 games five starts of those uh, 110 innings pitch and he manages to get almost 20 wins in a season. He, he, he had a great career. Obviously, Kendall Carter, uh, a man that needs no introduction to Sun Devil Baseball. Uh, so I'm looking forward to chatting with him.
0: Kendall, thank you so much for joining Jake and I here today.
1: Hey, it's it's an honor. I'm, I'm really
2: excited about it. You guys are – I've listened to um, – I didn't know about your guys' podcast, and uh, Scott Goldby turned me on to it, and um, I listened to most of them, and they're, it's really a cool thing you guys are doing. So I'm honored to be on it.
1: Mr. Kendall Carter, from one right-handed pitcher to another, man. Welcome to the podcast. We're excited to have you. Uh, your stats, they're unbelievable, man. Every time I go through some of these bios that Randy sends me, I'm like, holy, I didn't know these stats could ever exist in a college season. I mean, almost 50 wins in your career, 430 innings pitched, man. That's, uh, that's sometimes, you know, that's like half a team's innings pitched in a whole year so. Uh, welcome to the show. Obviously, we want to hear some of the background, some of the story that, uh, that you have. How did you end up at ASU? Where are you from? And uh, kind of walk us through your recruiting process uh, in the, the early 80s.
2: Okay. Um, I went to Coronado High School in Scottsdale. I grew up um, basically in the border of Tempe in Scottsdale there. And so as a kid, Little Leaguer and on, um, you know, my, we would go to ASU games. I remember uh, if you, ASU U of A game. I mean, he had to get there four hours early. It was batting practice I hadn't even started yet, you know, because it was sold out at Packard. Um, it was crazy in those days. And uh, so it was, you know, the likes uh I mean, I, I go all the way back. I saw Eddie Bain pitch um, back in the early 70s at old Rendezvous Park in Mesa, um, which is before Packard. And then when Packard first opened, I, I went to some games there um, early the first year. I remember the grass wasn't even all the way in uh, in the outfield, but. Um, So I grew up a Sun Devil fan, and then I went to Coronado High School, which was a great program. I played for Roy Coppinger, who was a great great coach. And it was weird, you know, I I had a dream of playing at ASU, um, and like when I was in Little League and kind of growing up, I was kind of small and skinny, and I didn't throw very hard. I had to learn how to pitch. So, you know, I was kind of throwing breaking balls and trying to trick them all the way up, and then... I don't know what happened. I woke up one day, my junior year, and all of a sudden I started throwing hard, but I had this ability to throw strikes and throw other pitches and all that. And then when the velocity came, coach Brock started recruiting me after my junior year, we won state at Coronado in 79. Um, and then that summer coach Brock recruited me. Um, and then it's funny. Cause I was listening to Alvin's uh, podcast and he talked about the recruiting experience. That, that must've been his go-to line because I was supposed to visit the University of Arizona the next week, that weekend. It was like a Wednesday night. And uh, Coach Brock gave me the same line he gave Alvin that um, if you really want to be a Sun Devil, it's probably not fair to them that you're going to go down and go on your visit. You should probably cancel it. So I ended up signing right then. And um, that was a tough call That to uh Wing was the pitching coach there. Jerry Wing and, and uh, Kendall was a – those were two really nice men. Um, who I battled against for years after that. But it was tough telling them. But I was excited to be, you know, to be able to say that I could go to ASU. It was crazy. But, um, yeah, it was an exciting time in in high school and all that. And then to, you know, I mean, gosh, every Arizona high school kid, that was their dream to
0: go play baseball at ASU. I want to ask you, because when we had Bob Horner on the program, you know, he talked about when he was a freshman, he was – man, do I belong here? And, you know, he had to, he had to have his, his father, who was such a big role model for him, kind of explain to him, yes, you belong there. For you, it seemed like you were pitching in almost every game as a freshman. Did you even have a chance to have any doubts? Or was it just, hey, Kendall, go in there and throw, and the next thing you know, you've got 19 wins?
2: Well, you know what? It's really funny that you say that because when I went, I got recruited by um, – a different pitching coach. Larry Smith was the pitching coach in 1980 and he recruited me. And actually that summer after my senior year, he had worked with me and he changed my delivery to more. He was kind of a, an old Cincinnati red Tom Seaver disciple. And he changed my delivery to a drop and drive. And then he ended up leaving. Um, and I really struggled that summer. I really struggled with that delivery. And then Tim Kelly became the pitching coach. And I remember my first bullpen my freshman year in the fall I threw about three pitches, and he said, what are you doing? And I said, what do you mean? That's my delivery. And he goes, what are you trying to do? He's like, it doesn't look right. And I said, well, I'm, you know, drop and drive. And he goes, like, he goes, that's awful. He goes, like, is that the way you always pitch? And I said, I go, no. And he goes, well, let me see that, like, what's comfortable for you. And right then and there, I mean, it was like a total change for me delivery-wise. Then the first time I pitched the inter-squad game, now you're talking about maybe one of the best offensive teams. I I would love to see a better one in NCAA history. I mean, those guys, we scored so many runs, we just pummeled people. Um, But we had to pitch against them in in inter-squads, and I got killed the first time. Everybody did, but I just got crushed. And I remember leaving that day thinking, I don't belong. I can't pitch here. I'm not good enough to pitch at this level. And I remember Coach Kelly talked to all of the pitchers and said, he talked about changing speeds and made every one of us throw a change up in fastball counts. So one Oh, two Oh, three, one, three, two, we had to throw a changeup. So I remember going up to him after that meeting and saying, Hey, I don't have a changeup. you know, not many high school guys throw a change up and he goes, well, you better learn one between now and the next time you pitch, you know, throw a BP fastball, something. So I, you know, you had to do it. And I, so I just kind of jammed it in my hand a little bit and threw a BP fastball. And it was crazy how effective it was. I, I always was able to throw strikes so I could throw it over the plate. And I was getting pop-ups and ground balls and really took off that concept of changing speeds and throwing something off speed and fastball counts really hit me and, and I had success with it. So I pitched in the fall. We had, we played other teams and, and I did okay against other teams. Um, the crazy thing so that the fall's over. And I had my meeting with Coach Brock, and he told me I was going to be on the JV team and that I may be pitching in get some innings midweek, but I was going to be on the JV team. So, I, you know, I left there. I, I, I didn't really know what to expect going in, so I, I wasn't sure. So I remember I went back, and Coach Kelly said, hey, how'd your meeting go? And I said, it's good. He said I was going to be on JV. And he goes, no, you're not on JV. I'm going to use you out of the bullpen. Because he gave – and it was, you know – in college baseball, I don't know how many people did it, but we had to find roles. So he's like, you're going to be a long man. That's what you're going to do. So don't worry about it. So the spring rolls around, and um, freshmen, you had to earn to get your name on your jersey. I didn't have my name on my jersey. If you look in what's called well, – we called it activity center, but uh, Wells Fargo, the national championship team pitcher, me and a guy named Jim Jefferson, who was another freshman, we were had pitching jackets on because we had to share a uniform that at the start for the before it was all the way up until Pac-10 started. So we would um, we would both be in the bullpen and they would call down and say uh, we shared it. it was number twenty-five. We shared it, so whoever you know JJ warm up he would put the jersey on and go in with no name on it, or it was me. It was crazy. So the for the first month I didn't. So we played i can't, i think we played long beach state or cal state la one of those and before long beach state was long beach state and uh the third game of the series sunday game um our starting pitcher jeff Ahern was a senior and he walked four or five in a row he got pulled i went in i pitched five innings i got the win the next weekend same thing he walked three or four in a row got taken out in the first inning i got the win um so i started Getting those kind of opportunities, and uh, then it was like Coach Brock's like, "Yeah, you're not going down to JV. You're going to pitch on varsity." And I was like, "All right, you know." And then um, obviously, by the time Pac-10 rolled around, I mean, I, I was I was vulturing them. Man, I, I was getting <laughs> wins on Fridays. I was getting wins on Sundays. I'd come in our starters. Would go three or four innings, and, and then all of they couldn't get out of it. I'd go in throw three or four innings and um, get the win, and, and Kevin Dukes would come in and close it out, and we did that twice a week, sometimes three times a weekend. And um, I mean I, was, I would get mad when they didn't get two wins a weekend. They it it got to be crazy. So I don't know. I, I have no I mean, it was like a Cinderella dream year for me. I, it was
1: crazy. Well, yeah, it seemed like you had quite the formula. I mean, uh, for those of you who don't know, you're 81 year. I don't know that it get, gets much better. Uh, 19 and one as a, as a pitcher, 2.8 ERA. You appeared in 28 games. I mean, that's that's un, that's unreal. You do end up having five starts. You throw a complete game, 110 innings pitched. Oh, and by the way, you uh, you win a national championship that year. That that sounds like a year in itself. You you know, you don't play 82 to 84. You're good to go as far as your college years go. But you talked about some of your expectations going into 81. You didn't even feel like you belonged. You know, even Coach Brock told you that you were going to go down to JV. What were kind of your expectations going into 82? I mean, you just come off arguably one of the greatest seasons, single seasons in ASU history as a pitcher. As a freshman, no less. I mean, some guys, junior, senior year, they don't even have those good of numbers. You're as a freshman, almost 20 wins. What was your, uh, what were you thinking, kind of going into year two there, Kendall?
2: I thought I was going to win 20 games. I mean, right, that was yeah. My mindset, you know, like uh, we uh, we were going to kind of go with the same formula. Kevin Duke's um, graduated and signed, so uh, it was still me in the bullpen, and I was going to kind of throw the middle innings, and, and that was the plan we had brought in uh, Mike Hogan and Donnie Smith and guys like that. Randy Newman was there and the starters were doing better. So I wasn't getting the same opportunities um, that I was the year before. So I didn't win I only won six games that year. Um, so it was crazy. I, I thought, you know what, this is easy, you know, going in there, I didn't know what to expect my freshman year. And then, um, you know, my seniors, I pitched, I, I had a chance to win 20. I pitched the national championship game. I didn't, You know, I didn't get out out of the first inning, but, uh, you know, I had a chance to win 20 games. Only one guy's ever done that. So I thought, man, this is easy. I'll win 20 my sophomore year, maybe 21 or 22 the next. You know, reality (laughs) hits you, and it's like this is a little bit tougher than you think. But, um, yeah, my sophomore year was a difficult year just in the fact because I wasn't having that success. And and, uh, I was pitching okay, but it was just the opportunities weren't the same. I mean, my freshman year, like I said, I mean – it, it We scored so many runs, and, and it was just – it got to the point where Coach Brock just kind of – I mean, literally, like, there was one start. Randy Newman, it was – we were playing USC Friday night. This is my freshman year going back. But Randy said, hey, you're not getting in today. I'm, I'm going five. I'm going to get the win. So we're up eight to nothing, and Randy has a perfect game through four and two-thirds innings. So we're down in the bullpen, and the other guys are going, "Hey, you're not, you're not going to vulture a win. You're, you're done," and uh, you know, just kind of giving me the business. So, Randy steps off the back of the mound. I'll never forget it. And he looks down at the bullpen. He stands down our stairs, and we're like, what, "What's he doing?" It was like stalking me. And uh, he gets back up on the mound and does not get another out. <laughs> Next thing you know, it's like eight to four or five. He gets out. I come in. I get a ground ball. I get the win. I mean, that's how, that's how it was going for me. I mean, there was nothing that, that went bad that year. My, you know, and then the one, so in Omaha, we lost. And then I pitched the next game. I threw nine innings for the first time in my life. And that was a Saturday. Then we beat Texas on Sunday. And coach Brock says um, to Kevin and I called us to his hotel room and said, Hey, you guys are splitting this game up. Who wants to start? And I'm like, I'm starting. I'll start. You know, I had a chance to be, win 20 games and uh he's like how's your arm feel you know I'm like oh I feel great I was probably throwing about 78 miles an hour with one day rest and I got hammered Kevin we split it up I got one out Kevin got all the rest but uh so yeah I was it was kind of the sophomore year was it was a very you know I grew up a lot and I I, I, for me it was kind of like a reality slap in the face you know hey you got to. Not that I didn't work, but it's like, you know what, I almost had to earn my spot again coming into my junior year, really.
0: In fairness, you only gave up two runs in that first inning in Omaha, and then the team tied it up again in the bottom of the first. So it's not like you yeah. got lit up.
2: Well, you know, I, I mean, a couple of those were hard-hit balls, though. So, I mean, I, I think Coach Brock was seeing that I was probably throwing 78 miles an hour, and he probably thought, I got to get this guy out of here. But, um, Jenna, what did
1: you throw normally? What was your velo?
2: You know what, I, I um, probably threw around 90, 92 when I was, a. it depends on what year you're asking, because I threw so many innings, my velocity progressively went down, but I was probably 90, 92 my freshman year, and um, I had an old scout, Bill Jackson, um, who was around when I pitched, and some of the other scouts used to get, you know, ask him what I was like, and he uh, said I was probably 87, 88 by the time I was a junior, so. Um, yeah, my velocity went backwards. Being a bullpen guy, you get they don't count, like you said, four hundred and twenty innings or whatever it is. Um, I probably had at least three hundred other ones where I warmed up in the bullpen and didn't get in that you don't count. Yeah. But that's wearing on you.
0: Well, Alvin Davis, and you probably heard it when he was on with us. He said, Yeah, you know, Kendall threw so many so many innings for us his freshman year, it probably hurt his career moving forward, but he wouldn't have traded it for anything to be a part of that national championship team. So now that you're here with us, do you agree with what Alvin said?
2: You know what? I would say, yeah. I mean, that was probably the, I think about that year a lot and it it was so special. um, Not only personally, because I had such a great year, but just that group of guys. I mean, there was, I've never been on all the years I played after that and all the years I've been around. I mean, I coached at ASU for five after that. So um, I've never been around a team that had the chemistry that that team had. I mean, when I got there, there was – it was an older team. Some of those guys seemed like they were 40 years old, um, the Stan Holmeses and some of those guys. And they – I mean, they took care of the freshmen and our leadership on that team with Alvin and Kevin Dukes. And, I mean, th- those guys were – I mean, when we got – I remember stepping the first practice, Coach Brock made a motto, Omaha and fun in 81, I think it was. And uh, that's all those guys talked about is Omaha. And I remember, like, the discipline a lot of times came from the players. You know, they like they would get on, you know, some of the younger guys if they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing – practice or working out or whatever I mean it was crazy but that was so special yeah I wouldn't trade that for anything I mean I I think it's easy to easy to look back and say I you know because I threw so many innings that hurt my career and and you know injury a lot pitchers get hurt and it just you know I mean I don't want to I don't blame ASU or blame coach Brock I don't blame anybody for me not pitching in the big leagues I mean I played minor league ball and um, you know, my arm went back. I think if it was today, I would have probably pitched in the big leagues because my injury, come to find out, I found out after the fact, like 15 years later, it was a little bone spur touching on my bicep tendon that um, they could have fixed and I'd have been fine. So uh, um, I wouldn't have traded that year for anything, trust me. It mean, was pretty
0: cool. You ended up with 47 career wins, which is still, you know, at the top of that leaderboard, so – it's not like uh, it's not like it was wasted four years, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's I don't know. It's kind of mind blowing when you think back to that, and I don't know, a lot of wins. It was it was a neat a neat time and a neat, you know, ASU baseball. Man, we were rolling. We three of my four years, we went to Omaha.
0: I want to ask you: We got an email from a fan, and he 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 had said, you know, I I want you to ask some guests about this. Tell us about the atmosphere at Packard Stadium for home games. Because, you know, Jake pitched there in the in the late 2000s. I went to school at ASU. I went to games, and I worked there, obviously. But everybody we've talked to has said the atmosphere at Packard Stadium in the 80s was unparalleled. So tell us what it was like where you were the, where you were sitting as a player and later as a coach to play a home game at Packard Stadium.
2: You know, I mean, Alvin did touch on it a little bit, we had – crazy loyal um group right above the dugout that went from some of them were students and some of them were old retired people and um they were very vocal um it was a lot of times it was so funny how they you know i would rag the third baseman or the pitcher i mean it was a tough tough atmosphere for an opposing team to come in um, and then we had the guys down in left field. Yeah. Chief Hall, a guy named chief Hog. I'll never forget chief. He, um, but those guys brought cool chests of beer. And uh, that was a rowdy group down in the left field bleachers there. And uh, it, when, when the bleachers were taken out at Packard, that was one of the saddest days for me because those were back in the day, you know, that, that was where a lot of the stuff was going on. It was crazy down there. And it, I can imagine it was a fun time for those guys. Um, and I I can't remember what year, if it was, I don't think it was 84, but it was right around in there, 85, maybe where, um, they said you can't have alcohol on campus. But before that, when I first got there, they, they were drinking down there. So it was, it was just a wild, wild time and great fans. I mean, there were times like the, we used to draw, like we played U of A, USC, Stanford, um, we always had 8,000 people, always. Like a bad crowd for us was 3,000. Like we could play, you know, a, a, a Mason State or something like that on a Tuesday and get 3,000. That would be a bad crowd for us. So um, the, the worst Pac-10 crowd we ever got was, you know, maybe five. I mean, we, it, was, it was good. The fans were there. And, you know, there was nothing else going on at that time. At, you know, early on, the Suns weren't very good yet there was no football. There was no pro basketball. So we were the talk about, I mean, we were front page on the sports page every, every day, every game. So um, it was just a wild time. And, and the, the fans were, you know, a lot of them traveled with us. A lot of them traveled with us on, on our plane, like our flight, we'd they'd be on our flight. So it was pretty cool. We knew them personally. We knew them by, you know, named and, you know, we would, Run into them out eating dinner or whatever. And uh, so it was special. It was a special bond um, between those guys and us. And a lot of times we would, you know, feed them some information on opposing players if, if that needed to be. <laughs> hey, get on this guy. You know, he he drives a Dodge Dart car or, you know, something like that. And they would just wear him out. And then, then after the series, the players would go, How did those guys know so much about us? <laughs> you know, they, know. they do their homework. So it was fun, though.
1: Kendall, one of my favorite things to do uh, is ask former players about their coaches. Obviously, I, I played for Murph and Ez, and uh, it's, it's always fun to kind of go down memory lane, talk about some of the memories with those guys. But uh, I, I didn't know Coach Brock, but some of the players that we've had on just think the world of him. Uh, I want to hear some of the stories, uh, with practice, with games, and ultimately your thoughts on playing for coach Brock. What was that like?
2: Um, well, I knew coach Brock in two different ways, um, as a player and as a co an assistant coach. So, um, two different experiences totally as a player, I went in and I was scared to death of him and he has, he has that intimidating, um,
1: that's what quality. we hear.
2: Yeah. Very intimidating quality. And, and, uh, you know, but but he uh, he pushed you. Um, he made you work. He winning was. Um, you know, I've been in scouting and in uh, that kind of thing for thirty years now, and there's been a lot of stuff done about um, makeup. You know, we're trying to figure out makeup and how you know what drives people, and you know. They, they say that guys that hate to lose are better than guys that like to win. We, we have guys that ask that question. So that's, that's the right answer. Hate to lose. And I've never known anybody that hated to lose more than coach Brock. I mean, it made him physically ill. I remember just how, you know, it just, he hated it. And, uh, and, and he, and he put that off on us, you know, like he, um, we just hated to lose. So, um, he he was good, at, you know, at, at just making everybody want to be the best. Um, we had this. I mean, it when we play in there and during those years, I mean, it, we it, the expectation was to win Omaha. Like we finished third my junior and senior year, and that wasn't good enough. You know, it was winning was what we wanted to do and and win it all. So, um, but he had a softer side to him. You know, there was a couple of times where, um, you know, things didn't go my way pitching wise, whatever. And, um, you know, he'd, he'd come over and put his arm around you and, you know, give you a little bit of a pep talk and make you feel better. So he, uh, he had that quality. Um, it was, uh, it was good, but he, I mean, <laughs> he, there were times, I mean, gosh, we laughed because coach Brock would kick you off the team and, drop of a hat I mean he didn't if you didn't get kicked off at ASU when I was playing there you were nobody (laughs) because he kicked everybody off at some point you know and he would always know you were okay because he'd tell you to meet in his office the next day and he'd get on you and then you're back on the team and then he never did whatever it was you were making him mad he never you never did it again but um the only guy that didn't get kicked off in my time there was Odeby and, and actually two guys Alvin and Odeby never got kicked off those were the two guys Everybody else at some point, something <laughs> happened and shower up, take it to the house. So yeah, he was tough, tough to play for, but, but he pushed you and he made you better.
0: What about as a coach? How was, how was it for you to adjust from player to now member of the coaching staff and working with him that way?
2: Uh, for me, it was hard because I still was intimidated by him. And, um, and he, he, he knew that uh, I, I will always be grateful to him for giving me that opportunity I was kind of at the end of my rope playing um, uh, and I had a family I was married and had a, a daughter they didn't want to go ride the buses when I was you know just didn't have it anymore so he gave me that opportunity to finish my degree and, and to start my coaching career and I laughed I was talking to Scott Goldby, who was a recruiting coordinator after me but we laughed here not that long ago talking about if there were cell phones around then i would have probably been dead um because he was so demanding and he had an innate if he asked you to do something he wanted it done yesterday so we would go when i started doing the recruiting we would um have a list so he would have a list of guys to call i would have a list of guys to call pentland would have a list of guys dub kilgo and then the next day, inevitably there was always one guy somebody missed, and that would be the guy I don't know how he knew it, but he knew that you didn't get a hold of him and he would his answer was always the same so he wasn't home at eleven o'clock at night he's a high school guy and he's not home at eleven you know like he would he would just get on you so very very demanding and um he I think that's what made me what I was in my professional career after I left and, and got into scouting, it's the, it, you know, those things that um, to just get it done. When somebody asks you to do something, get it done yesterday and, and, and just have a high priority and that kind of thing. Not, you know, don't be lazy. Don't be, cause he, he was that way. I mean, gosh, he'd call at two in the morning and t- talk about recruits and, you know, like, Hey, I'm worried about, I remember one night before a draft, he was like, "Hey, I'm worried about the draft tomorrow." It was like two in the morning. Uh, We're going to lose some guys, and I'm like, "Yeah, I think we will too." But you know, we can't do nothing about it right now. Like, why don't we wait till the draft comes tomorrow? But so he he was that way. Like he, I can't imagine if we had cell phones in those days. He would have called every ten minutes. But but it made you better. I mean, at the end of the day, it made us all better. And. Um, he the one thing I I, I really saw the method to his madness, and, and he always had surrounded himself with good people. Uh, Jeff is probably the best instructor, teacher, coach that I've ever been around. And in thirty years of pro baseball and college, you know, nine years of college baseball, I mean, he he could really coach and really teach. And um, you know, there's guys that know a lot about stuff like hitting and that but there's other guys that know a lot and then can teach it and that was him i mean he uh, i learned everything i know about recruiting scouting coaching all from coach pentland so that was he's had good people around him that was his other thing coach always had good people around him
0: you have the um distinction of playing with and you mentioned some names alvin davis odobie mcdowell you were teammates with a guy named barry bonds what from from what you can remember who who was the best player you played with from a talent standpoint and then who was the best player who just had that factor like you know was it Odeby was it Barry was it Alvin who you looked at a guy when he was coming up to the plate and going this guy's going to get a hit right here
2: Odeby the, well Odeby 1984 that was the best year I've ever seen anybody have Odeby was incredible he hit 423 with or whatever it was, four that four thirty. Um he had twenty. What do you have? Twenty three home runs, forty something stolen bases. I mean, he was unbelievable. He would hit a ball over the fence, and then he would drag one for a base hit and steal second and third. I mean, he he was crazy good that year. Um, I, I don't think. I don't think just from a pure like at the time, I thought, you know, Barry, Barry was good and had talent, but he wasn't. Um, at that point in his career, he wasn't as good as Odeby. That, you know, then, obviously, Barry's the home run king. So, um, you saw talent in him. And he and he was good. Don't get me wrong. He was really good at, at ASU. But Barry, um, that was... I mean, not Barry, but Odeby, that was a crazy, crazy year that he had. I, I've never seen anything like that. Um, Alvin and, and the 81 team, we had... I mean, Mike Sodders had a great year. Alvin had great year uh we had that was a good team i mean donny hill think of all the major leaguers on the 81 team and there was a lot on the 84 team too we had doug henry and um louis medina and don wakamatsu i mean there there were some dudes on the team mike Devereux was our fourth outfielder he played 10 years in the big leagues <laughs> in 84 so um yeah we had some we had some good players
0: i guess that closing line that coach brock had worked for everybody right <laughs>
2: Yeah, he could recruit. You know, it's funny because uh, he – when I was the recruiting coordinator, I kind of figured out, you know, because when he recruited me, uh, Patsy Brock came in. Mrs. Brock came in the house, and, you know, she talked about education and, um, you know, what was going to happen on campus and all that. And then as I later – you know, like Pentland and I would do the recruiting, and uh, we kind of picked and choose – who we sent coach Brock and Mrs. Brock in because like they were the closers. And and I think, honestly, I think Mrs. Brock was the closer, you know, like she, she could um, convince anybody, you know, that you were going to come over and be treated like family. And and he did. I mean, we we were all, we would go to dinner at coach Brock's house on Sundays um, after, you know, after games and like, she took care of us. She was like a motherly figure to all the players. So he, he was good, but she was, they kind of tag teamed you in the recruiting process and they were good at it.
0: She was still a big part of the program. Even when Jake played, she was always around and just a wonderful lady to be around. And boy, you, you can, you can tell that she just loves Arizona state baseball.
2: Yeah, she really does. She, uh, she was such a big part of the program in the eighties. Oh, you know, even as a coach. Um, but she, uh, Definitely loved loved ASU baseball and loved being loved the players and took care of them and. and I want
1: to switch gears a little bit. Uh, you mentioned before that you had played uh, three years in the College World Series. Obviously, ASU baseball is synonymous with Omaha, and half the reason that Randy and I even started this whole show was the idea of the memories of Omaha. And you know, you you mentioned before you said something to the effect of you know you guys forget or you said something that you you played in there three out of four years. Well, that was the norm. I mean, everyone that we've had on this show either went to Omaha, you know, more than half of the years that they were there. Uh, I did the same. I was there for uh, three years and went to Omaha twice. And obviously in, in recent years, that kind of hasn't been the trend. So we're, we're out here more or less, uh, talking about the, the special, place that is Omaha, the magic of Omaha, and really trying to reconnect AC baseball with Omaha. So what made Omaha so special for you? Obviously you went there in 81, you win the whole thing. You probably thought, hey, this is easy. I'm gonna go do it for the next three, four years in a row. But we all know how difficult it is. But that being said, we understand how special of a place Omaha is for college baseball. I mean there's really no place better. It's like the Final Four, the the BCS or what used to be the BCS, I guess, for college football. But um, tell us about Omaha. You were there for three years, and, and what made that so special for you in the early 80s, especially winning a national championship?
2: Yeah, there. I mean, that that was in and of itself, you know, it's such a great, great feeling that I'll never forget. Uh, you know, I can remember pretty much every game in, in that um, you know in that world series uh, really all of them I do it's such a such a fun time but you go back I mean if you think about um, when you show up there's a there there's people there to to greet you getting off the plane and you know the the Rosenblatt had such a unique you know, old school feeling to it. You know, just, uh, in fact, I'm not a big fan of the new stadium, the new stadium is crazy nice and and all that I've been in it, but it it just doesn't have the same feel as Rosenblatt.
1: Too corporate.
2: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, Rosenblatt just had just for whatever reason that feel Um, the fans, you know, uh, the fans there were crazy. I mean, there were people that were wearing ASU stuff and flags and different things. And, you know, you're like, who are those people? And then, you know, they might've been from Nebraska. or They might've been from Kansas and they were ASU baseball fans that were, you know, first time they ever saw us play. and um, I don't know, just such a special, special thing, you know, and, and you're kind of treated like a big leaguer while you're there. And, and you know, there's nothing – there's not a better feeling. You know, you go up to the press box after the game and you talk to the media, if you did well. And, and uh, I don't know. It was really cool. It was really cool. I remember. And coach Brock talked about it a lot. Hey, if we win, we get two days off and we can, you know, go do some things. Um, if we lose, you got to play every day, you know, so, but we would win, you know, we won the first two games and you know, we had some time to kind of see the city. And we went to boy's town. I think that's what it's called. And we kind of did some things so it was really as a you know I was 18 or 19 years old and just to see all that stuff it was just eye-opening and just crazy fun I mean living on a cloud really it was it was a lot of fun but there's that's such a special feeling and it's it's hard to describe if you've ever played and I know you have um if you've ever been there and, and experienced that whole thing um there's there's no better no better feeling and that's I don't know if you never, if a, if a baseball college baseball player didn't get a chance to play there, they they missed a lot.
1: Was there a particular game that you remember in Omaha that kind of stands out to you as far as like, wow, this is Omaha.
2: I think my freshman year, my um, I had pitched mainly out of the bullpen and I had no, I started here and there. And, and uh, so I, I remember, you know, I we got on the bus and, and went to the from the hotel to the, the field and, and uh, nothing I hadn't really even thought about the game. you know I, I figured I was going to pitch, but I usually kind of started getting mentally ready once the game started, and gosh it was probably it was less than a half hour before the game, and uh, Tim Kelly came up, our pitching coach and said, "Hey, you're starting." <laughs> and I was like, "What?" He's like, "You're starting." And uh, he's like, you need to start warming up in about ten minutes. So go on the stretch. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me! Like I didn't, I didn't even have time to be to even think about it, to be nervous. But I just remember starting that first game, and I and, and the guy that started, I was seventeen and one, and the guy that started for Texas was seventeen and zero. And uh, they had Spike Owen, and and uh, you know they had a great team, but uh, we ended up winning. I think five or six to two. And I think I went five and two-thirds maybe. Um, but I just remember that I think standing on the mound before the first pitch looking and, like, going, what the heck am I – you know, what is this? Like, I'm, I am pitching in the College World Series game one opening night. Like, are you kidding me? And, and uh, it was pretty cool against Texas, of all people. You know, I remember them standing over there, dug out, doing that Longhorn thing, and I'm like, come on, let's go.
0: 11 to uh, yeah, two. That was
2: pretty cool.
0: You guys won 11 to two and you know, it was it 11 was, to two. Yeah. It seems like it was always the, the Kendall Carter, Kevin Duke show. You go five and two thirds and then uh, Kevin with the rest of the way.
2: That, that was, that was the formula right there.
0: The 84 world series, Odo B McDowell's the Omaha zoo home run. Do you remember that? Did you ever see the ball? Like, land? It,
2: was, like it was yesterday. I know it hit a giraffe. Um, you know, again, that was Odeby's year, and he hit. I think we were playing Oklahoma State, right? Um, and the score was like twenty-three to fifteen, right? It was a crazy. Balls yeah. were flying that night, and he hit a ball that went. It was still going up as it passed the lights, and so you you don't. I mean, it couldn't have gone to the zoo. That'd have been like a half a mile, but it it was still leaving. After it passed where the lights would show it, and it just went into the darkness still going up. I mean, I, I don't know how far that would have gone. It was crazy how far that was. I mean, it – and that's – you know, everybody on the – I mean, we were just going nuts. Ah, that hit a draft. That hit a draft. So, um, yeah, it would have been, had a good World Series. He could hit him. You know, he was 5'8", or whatever he was, and he could hit him far.
0: Three times you got to go to Omaha. Your, your record – as a member of the Sun Devils, two hundred and twelve and seventy-two, you were responsible for forty-seven of those wins. You won three Pac-ten championships, as we mentioned, three College World Series appearances, a national championship. Do you look back thirty some odd years later, almost forty years later, and go, "Boy, that was a heck of a four-year run."
2: Um, you know what I do? I think about it quite a bit. You know, especially when I when I go back to pinks muni now i miss packard i you know you i fly over it and i look out the window and and they need to take it down already you know because it's just a little skeleton there's but the stadium itself is there last time i was over it and it's uh it's really sad now to, to look at that but yeah it's uh i don't know it was, it was just a cr- really fun four years funnest time of my life i'm i'm you know, that was the best time of my life, playing at ASU. 84, 84 was a better team, believe it or not, than 81. Um, we just didn't have the same chemistry that we had in 81. If you look back on that 84 team and some of the guys that were on that, Doug Henry and Barry and Odeby and those guys, that, that was a great year. But um, it was it was so much fun. It, it And, you know, Jake kind of touched on it, but that, you all of you – start to have these uh, – we expected to go to Omaha. We expected to win it all. We ex- you know, there was – I remember in 84, we were number one from day one until we lost in, in – uh, we lost at uh, Fullerton for the second game. Uh, Swindell beat us, and then we lost the next day at uh, some thumb and left-hander from Fullerton, and, and we were out. We were shocked because uh, we didn't we, – we thought we were going to win. We I mean, we – there's nobody that was even close to being as good as we were. So, yeah, it was it, – it was a, it was a fun four years. And I, I don't think it's been, um, you know, then, then, in the, what, 85, 86, they got in some trouble with that. I can't remember what it was all the, about. The but, work uh, study program. Yeah. Work study. And then uh, they lost some scholarships and the program was kind of in, we still went in 87, um, unlimited scholarships. Uh, I was coaching there then. And, and, uh, but, it wasn't the same, and it took a while—probably uh, in the late night, uh, late '80s—to get it going again. Um, and then Murph kept it rolling when he got in there. So, um, but the my four years there, and, you know, we should have gone in '82. We kind of got upset by Fullerton, who ended up winning it all. But um, uh, we 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 had good we had good players on the bench that didn't play um, just about every year. So, really, really special time to be an ASU baseball player. But, you know, you look back now and, you know, just going to Omaha and not, you know, not getting there. And, and you know, the fans were spoiled. Uh, it's not that easy. I think it's tougher to go to Omaha now than it was in our years because I think there's better programs. There's more programs that are good for players to choose from.
1: Kendall Randy asked you a little bit about Packard Stadium. We love Packard, Revere Packard. We, you know, so many wonderful memories there. Was there any road trips that you particularly looked forward to? Uh, Interestingly enough, you're an Arizona guy. We always ask, you know, the Washington guys, they loved going back to Seattle. The Southern California guys love to go back and play SC or UCLA. Was there a particular road trip that you really enjoyed?
2: Um, I loved to go down to Tucson and play uh, U of A. We, we were better than them for four years, and, and pretty much dominated them and it it was fun. That one was fun. I mean Tucson's not the greatest place in the world. It's probably one of the worst. but um <laughs> we, we never went to Washington. you know we liked. I liked. we played Texas, it seemed like a couple times um there that was a fun trip, tough to win there. The umpires were brutal uh, still are. Yeah, you couldn't you couldn't if you were leading late in the game you couldn't throw a strike for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> control usually got lost, but that was fun. I like go I like playing SC and UCLA and Stanford was Stanford was tough at home. They were weird. We always used to assume that they had to do homework on the road, so that's why they weren't as good. But they were bad on the road, good at home when we in my years.
1: So for playing those, there was a little bit tougher. Was it more for this the team the competition playing against those those guys or was it just you like the scenery in in san francisco and los angeles um you or both. la
2: that just just at in la you know usc with brad data was still a coach there and yeah you know that the tradition of the program and you know they drew a little bit and, um you know they had the they had the i can't think her name was madeline frank playing the organ and when Data would go out to touch the pitcher. They'd play that president song.
0: Hail to the chief. (laughs) Yeah,
2: exactly. So (laughs) I guess that was kind of cool. I mean, we didn't do much. You know, we were at a hotel. So it wasn't necessarily that. Cal was not that, you know, I remember Cal, it seemed like you were, the field was slanted. You had to run uphill to go to first base. But, yeah, I don't know. SC probably more for the tradition. Um, U of A was more just, gosh, man, the, I remember people shooting fire rockets onto the field from behind the stands, behind the um, home plate stands. One of the things I remember I'll never forget at U of A was before the game, the pitchers have to go out and get home runs, and uh, there was a flatbed truck behind left field fence, and those guys were out there drinking beer, and they had a bulldog. And I would always go out there and I'd sit, they'd let me sit on that flatbed truck and I would, you know, pet the dog and they were nice guys and all that. And then when the game would start, I'd go down and warm up. And I mean, I was just getting abused by the fan, you know, by these people. And I look around and it's the same guys I was sitting with before the game and they were just killing me. Um, But that, that was, when there used to be people hanging in the trees, the, they'd put the students right behind our dugout and they were just, I mean, you couldn't get up out of the dugout. So that, that atmosphere, I I was sitting at a ASU U of A game. Uh, It was still at Packard and uh, there's probably 2000 people and nobody was yelling. And um, there was a scout, there's a scout named Scott Stanley who played and coached at U of A and, he was sitting kind of around me. He looked back and he goes, can you believe this is ASU and UA? It's like a junior college game. Like nobody's saying anything. So back in the day, it was a heated, heated rivalry and fans got into it.
0: I noticed you didn't talk about your sophomore year trip to Hawaii. That must've been something.
2: Well, we went to Hawaii a couple times. That was a that We, I personally didn't like going to Hawaii because you couldn't win there. The, the umpires were worse there than they were and I think my senior year when we went, I don't know how many losses we had, but we lost there, and that was not good. It, it, so it was a fun place to go, but it was not fun to play there because it was tough. Bobby, tough to you're
0: the, Bobby, you're the old sports writer and former radio uh, analyst. I yes. always used to say, you get, you're going to get rainbow when you go to Hawaii.
2: Yep, there's no doubt about it. It was not fun. You knew it. Bob's, the, he was the best. We had, he was, he I mean, think about that. We had a ch- guy that traveled. We might have had two guys. Metcalf might have worked for um, a different paper. I'm trying to think how that worked. But we had a couple guys for, he had the Republic and the Gazette. But we had guys that traveled with the team.
0: When, when we lost Bob Eager, we lost a giant chunk of history. He was my, he was my go-to guy for everything. He knew yeah. every little piece about ASU baseball.
2: Bob is the best. he had, he had a great way of interviewing you too. Like he would come down and just kind of BS with you and whatever. You just thought you were like having a conversation and the next day it was in the paper, you know, like he wrote this beautiful article and had quotes from you and you're like, wow, I didn't even know he was interviewed. Like he didn't write anything down or, you know, like it was great. He was good at that.
0: Are there any uh, teammates that, you know, you were really close to then and you still talk to now, are there any favorite teammates, funny stories from teammates
2: um gosh some of the stories we probably can't say over the air that was the the one thing about that my first year coming in I was this innocent um I talk about Rick Wilson um was my catcher but um those guys partied after I mean they worked hard but they partied hard and I I mean I grew up fast uh, my freshman year um but I mean we had gosh so many Kevin Dukes took me under his wing my freshman year and he really showed me the ropes and, and kept me on the straight and narrow and things. So, you know, if I ever struggled or whatever, I mean, he was such a great teammate, such a great leader for the whole pitching staff. Alvin, you guys talked to Alvin Alvin's probably one of the nicest guys I've known my entire life. Um, In fact, I saw Alvin at a, I was at a tournament in California scouting and, and ended up, he was coaching at one of the teams and I, crossed paths and we hugged and I talked to him for about I don't know half hour and then went and got in the car and I was with another scout from um from the Yankees and he's like hey was that Alvin Davis I said yeah I go he's probably one of the three nicest guys I know and the guy goes am I one of those and I go no <laughs> you're not one of those I go I like you you're my good friend but you're not one of the nicest guys I know So um, I still see Louie Medina scouting, Rick Wilson scouting, um, Wakamatsu once in a while. So there's a lot of guys still scouting um, that I run into a lot. Um, We had uh, probably uh, one of the coolest things, I can't remember what year it was. They honored, I don't know if it's 25 or 30, but they honored the 81 team at the alumni game. And there were, Some of those guys, we got off the plane when we got back from Omaha. And some of the older guys, seniors, I never saw – I had never seen until that day back when we did the – we were honored at Packard. And we – it was like yesterday was the day we just got off the plane. I mean, some of the – just the team chemistry. And, I mean, we were in the clubhouse drinking beer, sharing – it was – such a special feeling and, and like that bond never went away and that was really a, a neat neat feeling I, I just remember going okay this is that feeling this is why we want it it's so special that championship teams have that and uh, so that that was fun um, we did a thing oh gosh it was Louie had a bunch of guys Odeby and, and uh, I'll talk to Odeby a couple times a year um, he's the best I mean he he was probably one of the best team leaders that and he did it in a quiet way he didn't he didn't didn't have to say people were afraid of him though he he uh he was a wrestler so he could wrap you in a pretzel and everybody knew
0: it but
2: (laughs) that was probably one that's a great asu baseball story did you guys about Odeby pinning the asu wrestler no tell us please okay so Odeby was a wrestler in high school and I want to say junior college as well. And, and, um, like a really good wrestler. And, uh, so we were the training room in those days was down at the activity center, in Wells Fargo. So we were down in there getting some treatment. There's probably five or six baseball guys. And, um, some of the wrestlers had come out of practice. So, um, a couple of the baseball guys were talking to the wrestling guys. And one of our guys, uh, said hey you know this guy wrestles and so you know and they're like yeah sure he does you know whatever and so they're like well what weight are you in whatever it was and like well this guy here is that weight and he was the pac 10 champion that year and uh so the guy the baseball player's name is reggie mosley he's like well what, let's all bet everybody throw 20 bucks in <laughs> and if the wrestling guy wins you guys get the money and if the baseball if oda wins and we get it and the wrestlers are going what are you talking about? And we're like, yeah, let's do it. So we're all, we all did it, and they're laughing. The wrestlers are going, there's no way. So we get into the wrestling practice room, and Odeby pinned him in like five seconds. <laughs> and, but I, 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 I'm not sure the guy was ready for – I don't think he was expecting – you know what I mean? Like I don't think he was expecting him to know how to wrestle. So he wanted a do-over. We were like, nope, we're taking the money, and you are in. But he pinned the Pac-10 champion. <laughs> it was unbelievable.
0: See, Golden Spikes, he could have won the Golden Mad Award, too. Or whatever. There's no, the no of doubt.
1: He, he was special. That just shows you how tough Coach Brock was. Yeah, there's
2: no doubt. I remember one day, my senior year, it was late in the year, and we were going good. And Because uh, if you weren't going good, you wouldn't have pulled a prank like that. But um, our trainer put a cast on Odeby, um, and Odeby walked in the dugout, with a cast and crutches, and uh, Coach Brock was in the dugout, and Odeby rounded that corner there. And Coach Brock saw him. I thought he was gonna throw up. I mean, he just he sat down and put his head down. I mean, he was crushed. And uh, we all started laughing, and he didn't. I don't think he thought it was funny as we did, but
0: I'm pretty sure Eddie Bain told the same story back in the '70s when he showed up to practice with a cast on his arm, and Brock went, "Oh no, my number one guy." So yeah. apparently they got Brock a lot with the cast trick.
2: How about you talk about my numbers? How about Eddie Bain? He struck out <laughs> five hundred and whatever guys in three years. He did that in three years. That's uh, I, that's can't imagine that. I used to give him a hard time though, but it was it was wood bats, not aluminum bats, so it doesn't count. That's a that's a lot of strikeouts.
1: Yeah, Eddie forgot to mention that conveniently, but uh, still five hundred strikeouts. Whether you're playing with you know, you can play with tennis rackets and that's still that's good. exactly right. Uh, Kendall, you know, I, I'm, I love ASU baseball. I, I, for me, it, it's, there's something about ASU baseball that really did something for me and kind of ignited something in my life that is perpetuated throughout even into my thirties. And you've been around baseball for 30 plus years. Uh, so, you know, let me ask you that same question. What did ASU baseball mean to you? And really, what did, it, what did it do for you as a young man that kind of, you know, led you on this path in both success and baseball and life? What did ASU baseball mean to you as both a young man and what does it mean to you today?
2: Playing at ASU, you know, it, it was so – such an interesting feeling. So, after my freshman year, I played on the USA team and – Every guy on that team asked me to what just what you said. What was what's it like to play at ASU? Like you were held in such a high regard, higher than anybody else because you played at ASU. You know, so every summer when you'd play with that somebody, and then playing in pro baseball, you know, it's just everybody kind of looked up to you because you were at ASU. Um, and then just even now, even today, you know, I with so many. I mean, look at so many whether they're coaching or um, playing or have played um, so many guys and that played in, in, in the big leagues are playing in the big leagues. And I still hear it from other people in, in our scouting department about, you know, they get on me about, Oh, he's an ASU guy or, you know, he can't be any, you know, so it's just, it's a, it's that, that's one of the really the, funnest things about having played at ASU because you it's like you you're like better than everybody else because you played at ASU so it's still the program still held in such a high regard um, it just you know for me playing there I, I think it prepared me the competition and, and uh, you know interestingly enough I remember signing and going to A-ball and going wait a second what in the world the field the travel the bus you know like nothing was as good as it was at issue. I'm like the meal money nothing was as good I'm like what I thought I signed and went up not down like what's going on um and I don't know it's just such a such a neat 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 place and and honored to have played there and played with some of the guys that I played with and um yeah, I don't know. It, it, What a great place it is.
0: Did you ever think 39, 40 years later you'd still have your name so high up in the record book and all those different categories?
2: They helped me out a bunch on the wins with uh, shortening the season to 54 games or whatever. I think it's going to be tougher. We played 80 regular season, I think, and then more. So it was easier then. I think it's going to be tougher. Somebody mean, Leak tried. He hard, tried hard. I thought he was going to get me. But, um, you know, it, that's a, that's a neat thing, you know, to look up and see on that board, it, you know, they have the thing in the clubhouse and, and I remember years ago after the fact and they had it on that little, that little plaque. And I'd always walk by and look at that and makes you remember, you know, so many people had something to do with me winning that many games that year that, you know, it just, that, that's what's kind of so special about it. It was, you know, I, I, yeah, I won 19 games, but there it wasn't me by myself. I mean, there was a lot, a lot of us scoring. Like you said, I thought it was six runs. I I insulted our guys. It was 11 to two. I mean, (laughs) Texas, Um, we usually scored over 10 runs. uh, We, and we knew we could be down five or six to nothing. And we knew we were going to, that was no problem, but it's a, it's a neat feeling to to see my name still on the record book. I, I kind of like it. Hopefully somebody will beat me someday
0: though. Did you think it would be, it's going to be the 40th anniversary of the national championship is coming up next June. Did you think you'd be the last national championship squad 40 years later?
2: I did not. Um, like I said, I think it's tougher now, but uh, you know, you just gosh, through the, the, the late eighties and the, in the early nineties and through the nineties and all that, you know, they had, they had good teams and just things didn't work out. I, I don't know. I mean, we need to get them back. We need to get that back. I know this year's team was had a lot of good players. I know a bunch of them were drafted, and I think they were on their way to Omaha. Um, hopefully, Tracy's got them going in the right direction. I think, uh, you know, the, from what I mean, he had that many guys drafted that high. He's doing something right. So,
0: well, to your point, you know, I'm saying how hard it is to get there. How hard it is to win the whole thing. When I when I was there, we went to Omaha in 07, 07 09, and 10. But probably the most talented team we had was in 2008, and we lost at home in the Super Regionals. So you just – you never know.
2: Yeah. One thing, I mean, I, in all the years, like, we got beat. We got beat when I was coaching. Andy Bennis was at University of Evansville. Our, you know, we were – I can't remember what we were ranked, but they used to back in the day, and they probably still do it. I don't pay that close attention, but, you know, we were – It was the last seed. They were the last seed in the whole tournament. We were the number one and it was Evansville. And what they had, I remember Eddie Bain uh, calling me and saying, Hey, this is not going to be a pushover. They got a pitcher named Andy Bennis. that's going to be the first pick in the draft and he's good. And we lost one to nothing. Um, you know, so you run into something like that and and next thing you know, you're going to win every day. And, and, uh, So it's tough. I mean, we ended up not making it that year, but uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't know, you know, there's more, I think the NCAA has evened out because it used to be the regional was truly a regional. Like you played, like we played Fresno state and Fullerton and you know, those were the teams in our regional Washington's whoever came out of the North and now they, you know, they, who knows who you're going to play? I mean, you might have an SEC school playing in your tournament, and, you know, so I, it is tougher. Um, but
0: we had Monmouth come one year for a regional from all the way, all the way from New Jersey to come play us. That definitely different from when you played back in the day.
2: We, I can't, I think it was 89 when I was coaching there. We played um, at, I can't remember the what we were up in like New Jersey somewhere and we lost. Can't even think of the name. It was just some obscure school, and they had a little thumber pitcher that would beat us. So,
0: my last thing for you is you know, what if, let's say you were recruiting a a kid now for ASU, what would you tell them about what you you mentioned about what the impact made on your life? But how how would you sell a 17 year old ball player? Look, you need to come to ASU because
2: you need to come to ASU because. you want to be the best baseball player that you can be. And this is the opportunity you're playing in a tough conference and look at how many of these guys go from here. Obviously every kid wants to play in the major leagues. Um, Look at how many guys have gone from being ASU baseball players to the major leagues. Um, That this is your opportunity. And it's because of the, the players you're going to be surrounded by the, the program, the the facilities, the the fans, the, you know, it's all on the West coast. There's nothing, there's nothing comparable to the fan base. It's not the same as it was in the eighties, but it's still better than it is anywhere else. It's not even close. I don't think Um, they, they draw so well. The fans are loyal Um, and they're compassionate. It's tough to, you know, I remember coach Brock. I mean, they, they'd get on him. Um, You know, if we lost or, they thought he bunted when he shouldn't have. Or I remember, um, Jake, He played for Murph. I remember I took my car in to get service and, and uh, the, it needed something to be done. So the guy that gave me the ride back home, he was uh, – I don't even know how he got to start talking about baseball. I didn't even mention I played baseball. And uh, he said he was a season ticket holder and that um, Murphy, after the games would hold a. He'd go up and let the fans ask him why he did certain things. And he I kept questioning why, you know, kind of getting on him. And Murphy uh, obviously didn't do that anymore. And I'm like, why would you do that in the first place? I mean, <laughs> baseball is such a, you know, you can second guess every move anybody ever makes. So I, I just laughed. I'm like, I think that was in his, when he first got there. And I was like, Murph, because I know Pat really well. And I'm like, I, he had to have second guessed that decision.
1: That sounds like classic Murph i 'm sure he wasn 't actually listening for constructive feedback. I think he just wanted to uh, kind of mess with some of the fans if you catch my drift and just appease appease the fan base because uh, it is funny that you say that because you know Randy and I have talked about how many times you know with Murph and as you know it wasn 't that we thought he was going to get fired or they were going to get fired, but there was definitely some pressure, and there was definitely the hot seat. Uh, from a coach's standpoint and even a player's standpoint because we knew how important winning was to the program. I mean, me as a pitcher, I felt pressure every single time I had a bad start to pitch my next – you know, the next game the best I've pitched because there were four or five other guys waiting in the wings to take my spot on Sunday. And it sounds like it was very similar to the competition level that you had. You talked about Devereaux playing 10 years in the big leagues. I mean, Austin Barnes is a guy in my uh, – in 2010 – that was trading time between two other catchers and, you know, he's played in the world series and it's just yeah, it's still playing how competition goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. It was, it was, it doesn't seem like it's necessarily that way, uh, as of late at ASU, which is kind of my only, my only, you know, grudge, I guess, is I would like to see a little bit more healthy competition and maybe a little bit more accountability, with with the players, um, but I do think that ASU can get back there pretty quick. I mean, obviously, playing in Arizona is, uh, in my opinion, top one or two places that you could ever play with the yeah. weather, with the exposure to to the MLB draft, to scouts. Um, you know, obviously, playing the competition that you, that you have. I remember going and playing short season A-ball after we got back to the World Series, and I'm like, especially wood bats going from metal to wood bats i just i was too i was so worried about throwing sliders in the dirt and 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 sinkers down and in i'm like shoot i'm just gonna throw sinkers down the middle and let these guys ground up to our third baseman and it was just the level of competition that you saw at asu you don't see anywhere so i agree with you as far as being the best place to play there's just not a better place to play than asu
2: yeah no doubt and going you know I remember when I was doing the recruiting and in, in, um, uh, a lot of the other schools that are recruited against used to talk about um, that it was unfair that we were using, you know, some of the oh, Reggie Jackson and, and Rick Monday and, you know, those guys, you know, they, these guys played at ASU and they're like, that's not fair. They're not, you know, like they didn't play for coach Brock, you know, you're using those names for, cause that, those are the names. I remember um, I, we had a an alumni thing here not that long ago where Trevor Williams was uh, there and he talked about like, um, I don't know, maybe it wasn't Trevor. But anyway, we were discussing just how like the names before you and how great those names like that are out on the board and retired numbers and just people that you knew like Hubie Brooks and uh, Floyd Bannister for me and, and and all those guys, Larry Gura and Craig Swan and just crazy how good those guys were. And it's almost like you felt like you had to live up to those expectations as well because of the people before you. And um absolutely you know that kind of going on with what you're saying. It's just that 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 was the challenge that pushed everybody. Um, and then, again, the expectation. It, it was really – you don't think about it when you're there too much. I mean, you just kind of live it and you deal with it and go. But that's part of it. You it, And you talk about getting fired, Coach Brock. I mean, if we didn't go to Omaha, I mean, he he thought, you know, there's – his job's on the line and, and you know, so we, we got to get better. We got to get there. I mean, that drive to to not make it two years in a row to not go.
1: And So there is pressure. Yeah, you you mentioned some of the guys before you. In your era, were there a lot of alumni that came back and were around the program back then? Because when I was there, you know, spring training in Arizona, there were a lot of guys that just naturally were there for spring training. But, again, there were a lot of guys that had to go out to Florida that were still there in the fall getting ready for big league uh, camps. Were there a lot of guys that were around the program back when you were there in the early 80s?
2: Yes, they were. You know, they would come out and work out before we practiced. Um, So you were around a lot. You know, the guys that were currently playing pro baseball majorly, you know, and a lot of them were big leaguers, Kenny Phelps. And, you know, so you got a chance to kind of be around those guys and talk to them. And the alumni game, I remember the alumni game being, you know, like for the first probably three innings, you were playing against big leaguers. And, you know, then they would come out and then it was, you know, double a or triple a guys you know and then by the end they let the old guys play and that game kind of went away and maybe i I, you know guys don't want to get hurt and whatever big leaders don't play anymore but um and those days that you know it was kind of them kind of working into shape and you know that i um i don't know i don't know if guys don't show up anymore you know it's I think part of that pre-off-season uh, work is different now. Maybe, I don't know. But I don't think there's as many guys going back, I don't think.
1: No, you're right. You're you're absolutely right on that, on that one.
0: Kendall, I cannot thank you enough for coming on with us today. That was great to hear some of those stories. And, man, you I can just tell by, by the look at your face that uh, you love Arizona State baseball and you really cherish those four years you had uh, playing for them. So thank you for taking us down memory lane with you. It was a lot of fun.
2: You got it. I appreciate it. It was fun talking to you guys. You guys doing great things. This is a neat thing that you're doing. So it's fun to listen to all those guys.
0: Boy, it's not often you get to talk to a guy who uh, had the kind of college baseball career that Kendall Carter did. This guy was a workhorse. We talked about a little bit in the open. But Jake, why don't you run us through his innings pitch during his four years at at ASU? Well,
1: 430 innings pitch. I mean, well, 427.1 to be exact. But that's a number that you're just looking at going, is is that right? Is that a typo? There's no way that that can be real. Oh, and then you go to his wins, 47, and that's got to be a typo too. And the fact that he had 19 in one year, oh, and then he spread out 30 more wins over three years. Uh, Just crazy numbers. I mean, obviously he talked about the amount of games that were played, but still just what he put up in 81 alone is crazy. And then over the four years as a Sun Devil – uh, a true tip of the cap as a former right-handed pitcher to Mr. Kendall Carter. What's crazy to me is uh, still, you know, 40 years later, how much passion the guy has for Sun Devil baseball. You can truly see what kind of an impact it had on him. Uh, the more we talk about those guys that played in during Coach Brock's era, you know, the more impressed I'm, I am. I mean, you talk about that 81 team. He talks about the 84 team. Some of the players he played with Odeby uh, Alvin Davis, it's just some of the names and some of the people that he played with. You're just, you're like, man, I, I wish I could have gone back and, and watch those guys play in Tempe because it sounded like it was an absolute drumming anytime, uh, those guys went out and played, but man, what a cool guy to talk to and, and someone who's still around baseball to this day. But you're right, man, 427 innings pitched over the course of your career is just insane.
0: Now you actually have the distinction of being a teammate with the other two guys uh, in the top, the top three slots in all time games pitched. Number one is Brett Bortis. You were a teammate of his in 2006. Number two and number three, Mitchell Lampson and Kendall Carter. That's a lo- that's a lot of baseball games uh, between Mitch and Brett and, and Kendall that they pitched and Kendall kind of set the standard, you know, and, and, we talked about it. he was in the aluminum bat era so he was in you know the bopping days the the 25 run games and, and to put up the numbers that he did 47 and 9 I mean you talk about Mike Leek's career 40 and 6 Kendall Carter was he had seven more wins I mean that's and and think about it if you look at his numbers he had won 19 games his freshman year 12 games his junior year 10 games his senior year six and four as, as a sophomore but he came out of the bullpen a bunch. And like he said, the starters were going longer. It's just, it's mind boggling the numbers he put up on the mound.
1: As you look at how many games he appeared in and how many starts he made. I mean, he was 28 games, five starts, 26 games, five starts. And then obviously his last two years, you know, most of those games that he appeared in were starts, but yeah, you look at Mike and he, he he was 40 over three years, but he was a starting pitcher and he was throwing all those innings. Kendall was throwing, 110 innings as a reliever. I mean, as a reliever, that's 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 a crazy number.
0: The numbers coming out of the like, like you said, coming out of the bullpen. And and granted, it was a different era of college baseball back then. But 40 years later, to still be the all-time wins leader, you know, still have the single-season um, wins record tied with with Floyd Bannister and Larry Gura. And you know, he led the NCAA in victories that year at 19. And as he mentioned, it was funny. Well, next year I'll win 21 and then I'll win 23. It doesn't always work that way. That 19 and one, that was a a magical year.
1: No, but that's how it goes. I mean, you have a good year and all of a sudden you're thinking that was easy. I can do it again. You see a lot of those guys after their sophomore year, when they start getting rated as top 100 prospects. And then what do they do their junior year? You know, they don't do as well because they think it was so easy. And uh, for whatever reason, you know, things don't pan out. Obviously we saw that in 82 with him, but, I mean, realistically, 6-4 and four with a 4-4 ERA in, a, in, in 83 innings pitch is not by any means a bad year. But uh, collectively, I mean, you know, this guy had had one of the greatest careers as a Sun Devil. He was an All-American. He was a national championship. He went to Omaha three times. He, he pitched over 400 innings and won almost 50 games. Uh, so, obviously, this guy was very worthy you know, of the legend status when it comes to his time at Tempe and obviously some of the stories he has. It's cool to see how connected he was and how much his teammates meant to him. And that really is truly, you know, kind of the measuring stick of what an AC baseball player is. You know, how many times you go to Omaha, how many times you win a national championship, and then ultimately what kind of a teammate were you? And it sounded like Kendall, you know, he checked the box off all three of those great teammate, went to Omaha, won the whole thing, but what a fun guest, man, to talk about some of the stories he had both off the field and on the field. Just an absolute legend, uh, you know, of Packard. So
0: Sun Devil baseball is such a special thing. And this is such a fraternity. And I love that we're able to share this with everybody and and maybe reconnect some of those guys who played all those years ago.
1: Well, what's funny for me as a former player is I look at my numbers and I look at a guy like Ken Carter's number. And I'm like, this guy, you know, this guy doesn't want to talk to me. He doesn't want to talk about you know, talk to me or you, who are we, right? Like he wants to talk to the big dogs and and reminisce with them, but that's what is so cool. And what you mentioned before is this fraternity doesn't matter about stats. If you played for Brock Murphy as, I mean, whoever, you know, and you went in and you, you kind of were in the trenches when it came, when it came to, you know, putting in that work and putting in time at Packard and, and the, the, the whatever it calls a transformation or whatever it is that you, 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 from the time you go there until the time you leave, you know, you have that sweat equity that is the fraternity of ASU baseball. And it was cool for Kendall to come on. And I can't tell you how many times I get emails, follow-up emails from guys that we've had on the show, just saying, you know, Hey Jake, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate you guys thinking of me. Well, in reality, it should be the other way. I mean, I should be thanking these guys for coming on and taking an hour, hour and a half of their day and just chatting about their time at Tempe. Most of these guys still connected with AC baseball, scouting, coaching, whatever it is, but yet they, they take the time 90 minutes to come on and chat about, about playing. And uh, that's what I love about it. And you hit it right on the head, man. The fraternity that is AC baseball is one that is as strong as it gets. And um, you know, it's just, it's so cool to be a part of
0: it. I think the one, the the thing for me that stood out talking to Kendall to really sum up what ASU baseball means and the history and everything. We were talking about Kendall's numbers, and I don't know if you even caught on to this. What did he say? He jumped in and goes, well, you forget about my numbers. Look at Eddie Bain's numbers. Eddie Bain's numbers were great. That's the attitude that Sunday well, – well, I was good, but I was as good as Eddie Bain. And Eddie Bain talked, well, I was good, but I was as good as Jeff Pentland. And, you know, if we have guys on later on who played, you know, in your era – they're going to say the same thing. Well, I didn't put up numbers like Odeby did. That's what makes this program. It's not just a guy's play there. They understand who came before them and the expectation they have to live up to.
1: Well, in my opinion, you, you, you look at who the best hitter ever was in ASU history, arguably Bob Horner. And he was the same guy talking about his teammates. And when he showed up as a freshman and this guy was better than me and that guy was better than me. And, you know, you talk about Odeby versus Barry and, and you know guys have said that all the time it's just we ask that question of who's your favorite teammate or what was the guy that you saw play and and even my era you know there were guys that I was like you know there's guys in the big leagues now but in 2009 and 2006 and 2010 there were guys that were that were better statistically that we look at we're like this guy's going to get hit at every time what did you ever think that Drew Maggi wasn't going to get a hit in 2009 or 10. I mean, the guy was always going to get Cole Calhoun. Did you ever think Cole Calhoun was never not going to get a hit? But then you look at some of the careers they've had both professionally and and in the major leagues. And you're like, you know, there's always somebody out there that's going to necessarily, that's going to be quote unquote better. But we don't, we don't think about those things. We just think about, you know, the stories and the experiences that we have with these guys and certain experiences that, you know, certain guys came up big in the playoffs or in the the regionals or super regionals or world series, Kendall mentions the story about wrestling. And you're just like, ah, it's, you know, it's a story that you'll always remember, you know, and that's, what's so cool about, about, you know, your time in Tempe is if you're just there as a student, you know, those aren't things that you're, you're ever remembering or, or you're, 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 you're experiencing, but you know, you experience cool stuff at AFC Baseball, and he talked about time, you know, at, at Coach Brock's house eating dinner. And, you know, there's times that we talk about munch of mania and, and certain times in the clubhouse that we spent in 2009 and 10 that you just never forget. And uh, it's so cool, like you said, to open up and ask these guys certain questions about, you know, what it was like off the field, what it was like at home, what it was like in class. And, uh, I mean, Kendall shared some some really, really great stories with us today.
0: Before we get out of here for the, for the show, I do want to send a, a thank you to uh, our fans who've been sending an email, sending suggestions. Keep them coming. We love to hear them, and I, we, we read the emails. We definitely want to give you guys what you want, so keep sending that stuff in. And if you have a player you want to hear from, let us know. And we're going to do our best to track them down for you. It's not always going to be easy. We may not always be successful, but I can promise you I'm going to try. And uh, Odeby is on our list of guys to have on. We're going to try and get Tuffy Goswitch on. There's uh, – a there's a laundry list of guys we want to bring on, uh, Dustin Pedroia being one of them. So keep sending those requests in, and we're going to do our best to, to make them happen for you. You know, we enjoy doing this, but we really enjoy hearing from the listeners and the fans who uh, are enjoying this as much as we're enjoying uh, recording these every day.
1: So yeah, we really appreciate the support and uh, appreciate you guys, all the, the kind words and messages and emails that we're getting. So keep them coming. And if we suck, let us know too. So,
0: You can send those emails to Jake. <laughs> now go ahead. you can you can get us at legends of packard at gmail.com you can get us on instagram twitter and facebook so for our special guest today kendall carter and for my good friend jake borup i am randy policar thank you for listening to the legends of packard podcast and honey i just want to be back in your arms again Follow the Legends of Packard podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Packard Legends and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Legends of Packard. The Legends of Packard podcast is a Paula Truck Media production and is not affiliated with Arizona State University.